yeah, you do have free will, and I do love you, but still your, your choices have consequences. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me today are our friends Karen. Yes. And Tracy. Good morning. And Amy will not be here today. She, oh man, she is in the purgatory of moving. Ugh. Ugh. I haven't had to do that in a very long time. I hope it is a very long time before I have to do it again, because it is awful. And I... (laughs) Even, even helping people, friends is awful, and I know because hey Karen, hey now, because Karen made me help her move twice, twice <laughs> into and out of a third-story apartment. Thank you so much, Karen. On one of the hottest days of the year, <laughs> I'm sure it was good for your cardiovascular system or oh, something. Well, well, I did. I didn't die, so technically right. that's supposed to make me stronger. So I guess we're. So, so, oh, thanks, Karen, for, for the exercise. Yep. <laughs> so, but anyway, that's why Amy won't be with us today. I don't know if I ever told you, Matt, but on that last move, no, no, not the last move, the middle move, um, I actually wore out three sets of friends. <laughs> <laughs> there were the, there were the rented dudes first thing in the morning and yeah. then like a few friends. And then there was another group of friends that showed up midday. Then there was another group of friends that showed up that evening and it was 103 degrees that day. And I thought I was going to die because I worked with all of them. (laughs) That was, it was pretty ugly, (laughs) but we all did it because we all love Karen. Even though (laughs) every step up to that apartment, there was probably a curse word coming out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear. Oh, gosh. All right. Well, let's get into our discussion today. I was going to say speaking of moving, but in this case, it was because people hadn't been moving quite right. So uh, anyway, that's a dumb segue. I'm going to cut terrible segue. (laughs) That was terrible. That's going right out. Not going to be in there at all. Oh, no, leave it in. Leave it in. You know, just (laughs) show them the raw beauty of this process. (laughs) I'm not the genius everybody thought. (laughs) <laughs> oh was that a joke oh yeah uh <laughs> yes <laughs> okay well we are reading ezekiel chapters five through eight this week and if you remember last week we got to talk about a crazy vision that ezekiel had out on the plane of of some sort of creatures with four faces and wings and wheels within wheels and and um nobody really knows what we're looking at with that but all this this these visions that ezekiel is having is as as judah is starting to be getting carried away to babylon and it seems like ezekiel maybe was with the first group that went kind of sounds like it yeah and so he's having visions now as we're going to read today, kind of thing of of stuff that's going on back in Jerusalem. 
And just in case nobody was listening to, I think it was two episodes ago, we talked about what the what the siege of Jerusalem looked like. And it apparently it went on for like well over a year. It just took a very long time for that city to fall. And if you can imagine a good old fashioned siege that lasts for that long, the people were in really tough shape. And it was just an, it was an utter collapse of yeah. everything they knew. And it got ugly. And that's what he's seeing now. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, the kicker to it all is that it was brutal and it got ugly. Oh, yeah. so bad. Like humanity reduced to its lowest levels of existence and then still trying to live together in a group. I can't even imagine. Yeah, yeah. Nasty, nasty stuff. And all of this, of course, is because uh, Israel and Judah have been falling to nations around them. Israel got carried away by Assyria and then just sort of disappeared. And Judah is being carried away by Babylon. And all of this is is for, I guess we call it punishment. I just, I don't, I never quite know what word to use there, but I guess we'll use the word punishment. Correction is maybe a better, is a better way to put it, but correction for all of the, the, the bad things they have been doing, all of the lack of following God's lead, not, uh, not keeping God central to their lives, to their government, to their society. Uh, and as a result, all of this idolatry had come in, all of this terrible, terrible stuff, like what we'll read later, uh, just things even happening in the temple, some of it we've talked about before, um, just just awful stuff. And so so they're being they're being taken apart. And, and yeah. you know, one thing, if we could keep this in mind, I would like to spend a minute or two discussing this before we end today, because I was thinking about that exact same thing as I read. And it's like, is this an intentional punishment by God? Is this him looking at where the nation is at and then looking at the fact that they're utterly ignoring them instead of shielding them? Is he simply allowing the natural fallout of living in this world to occur? You know what I mean? Or is this like what, like how, whenever God does a correction, I have trouble sometimes tracking, is it a punishment is it a natural consequence that he doesn't shield you from? Is it simply a result of what you were doing? I sometimes have trouble piecing that together, and I found myself thinking about that a lot as I was reading. I'd be mm-hmm. interested in you guys' feedback as we go through it. You know what? I was thinking myself the same thing. It's like, you know, is it or is it just – I was thinking more of a withdrawal or a removal of that hedge of protection. Yeah, just, like you don't like want you said, me? Fine, I'll go over letting here. Letting it naturally occur. It's like, okay, yeah. this is how it would have been if – you know, I wasn't shielding you from this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's why I have a hard time using the word punishment, so to speak, because I'm with you. I mean, there are a couple of times I think that we have seen God actively. It seems like he actively has reached out and punished people. The flood, I think. I think you could you could use the flood as a as an example Although in some ways you could see that as him withdrawing his hand and letting just the natural course of 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 creation take place without his protection. At that point, fallen creation combined yeah. with whatever mm-hmm. incredibly intelligent, long living humans were doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, there's the story of the people who where the ground literally opened up and swallowed them up. I can't remember their names right off hand. 
And what was that? Those were those, um, I'm trying to remember those what they Israelites. Did. That's when they were, mm-hmm. weren't they like burning unholy fire or something I, like that? Like, yeah, there was right. Pre- yeah. I think there were some priests and they were burning unholy mm-hmm. fire in their censers or something like that. Yeah. And so those are probably the two most prominent things that I could see as being a direct punishment from God. Um, but even in those aspects, is it God reaching out and doing it or is it God pulling back? and letting something happen yeah you know it's it's such a it's such a i don't know we i i think we have gotten into such a habit of thinking of god as being a punisher that we start to use that term when we start talking about things like this or he's he's punishing them where what's really happened especially like here it seems like more like he's withdrawing his protection and allowing Babylon to come in. Uh, and he's, you know, his talk, the way he's talking, it makes it sound like he's taking responsibility for it. And so in, in some ways he is, but it's not like, it's not so much like he's sending Babylon. It's more like Babylon was poised and ready to go. And it's just being allowed to happen. So, and, yeah. and yet if he takes credit for it, you know, where is the, I mean, and if he, if he is ultimately in control, operating around human free will, of course, mm-hmm. then he could see something that was about to happen. And he could definitely reach down one mighty finger and plant it in the middle and say, no, you're not going there. You're not mm-hmm. going there. Those are my kids. Those are my kids and you're not touching them. Right. Well, we've, and, yeah, we've seen that before where he literally mm-hmm. would have armies of angels out there to, right. to keep it from happening. Yeah. So, so I don't know. It just it was very interesting because I can't help but think about the scenes at the end of the world that are still upcoming mm-hmm. and how you get a glimpse into what's happening in heaven where there's angels holding back the winds of strife like and the earth doesn't even know it. The earth is just progressing and we're just kind of like going on down here and life is normal and blah, blah, blah. And people were marrying as it was in the in the days of Noah. So it will be again in the days of the coming of the son of man. People were marrying and getting married right up until the day Noah went into the ark. Right. So mm-hmm. some people will be utterly oblivious and other will people other people will be looking around going, that's a sign. That's a sign. That's a sign. That's a sign. Right. Because they've read their Bible. But in the meantime, the earth is progressing in what appears to be. A fairly normal fashion and and yet you've got angels up there holding back the things that are going to come like that's just a crazy mental image and i couldn't help but think of that when i was reading this yeah yeah well and we've read you know we've already been through this in our previous episodes of you know what happened to jerusalem uh through the siege i mean you know starvation cannibalism some people literally just being you know cut down all the crazy things of war, but then compounded with siege. So um, just, it's just ugly stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and um, yeah, so we're, we'll get, we'll get into some of why this is happening. If maybe this is your first time listening and, and, and coming to this story, you may not know why it's all happening. And, but Ezekiel spells some of it out in our reading today where uh, the people just had not been following God. So, Ezekiel is having visions. I mean, the whole thing here, I think if I remember reading his visions in in this book, spans something like 20 years. So it starts out here with, in chapter five, with 
Ezekiel being told to shave his head and beard, and he's told to do it with a sword. Um, That's a sword. Oh, wait, you guys don't use swords? <laughs> well, I've kind of given up shaving. I just kind of keep it trimmed back, and because <laughs> because I don't like to do it. Yeah, but Especially uh, Tracy with his shaved head, I've always yeah. I, and maybe that's just a mental image of his masculinity, but I've always imagined him using a sword. Yeah. <laughs> well, we got to remember swords for them. were not probably what we think of as swords. You know, <laughs> we're not talking Excalibur here. We're probably talking <laughs> something closer to uh, like Crocodile Dundee shaving yeah. with his Bowie knife. Toad stabber. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we well, probably I, think I of it. This and I had to kind of chuckle when I looked at it is. um Take a sharp sword, take it as a barber's razor, pass it over your head, your beard, and take the scales to weigh and divide your hair. I'm thinking, that wouldn't be a large sum of hair for me. (laughs) (laughs) And burn it. It's like, well, you figure that's hair, burned hair smells terrible. That's standing. I don't think it'd have the same kind of effect if I was doing it. It'd probably be like a (laughs) puff of smoke and that'd be it. (laughs) I one time grew my hair for about, I want to say two years, and it was down, it was down at my shoulder length, long enough to where when people would come up to me from behind, I was in a restaurant one time, and a a, a, a waiter came up behind me, and all he saw was my wife sitting across from me, and he came up and said, okay, ladies, what were you like? <laughs> and then when I turned my face, he sees me, he's like, oh, dude, dude, I'm sorry, dude, dude, I'm sorry. <laughs> So for those of you who haven't seen Matt before, he has a stunning head of hair. It's like, did you get ready for a magazine cover this morning? And then like, no, it just always looks like that. And his wife may or may not have ever commented out loud to me in a private moment that he spends more time on his hair than she does on hers. Oh. No? <laughs> uh, probably true. But anyway, he's got a, there's so he's much got, of it. <laughs> he's got a great head of hair. Some of the best hair I've seen. <laughs> well, when I finally cut it off, uh, it was enough, you know, basically the ponytail. I kept the ponytail and it was almost enough to fill a shoebox. Oh, my so, goodness. Yeah. And my hair is really thick. So, I mean, when we talk a ponytail, we're talking, you know, a good inch and a quarter around ponytail back there. That's so. crazy. It was, yeah. a, it, was a, it was a lot of hair and it was hot. But uh, but so, you know, when you cut it and have enough to weigh, you know, you, know, you got to remember back these guys. You know, they didn't have barbers and they probably weren't going in every few weeks to get a trim, you know. Well, and it was unmasculine to shave your beard. So, like, didn't, wasn't there a law somewhere that they weren't even supposed to trim the sides of their beards? Or was that the Nazarenes? I think that was the Nazarenes or specific people. It wasn't everybody. Okay. So, so maybe there was some, like, hedge trimming, but not a lot of. Yeah, I think you could probably keep things trimmed so that. You know, for for whatever purposes, but you know, it was just the style. It was just the you know, men just had longer, longer hair and beards. And and there's a few times in the Bible where when somebody was without a beard, it was really considered shameful. Yeah, it's emasculating. Yeah, yeah, which is why I don't like to shave anymore because it makes me look like a little baby. <laughs> um, uh, so anyway, he's he's told to shave his head and beard, weigh it. And then he's supposed to divide the hair into three parts and do different things with it. So a third of it he's supposed to take right in the middle of the city and says, burn it. Now, how does this work? Okay, he's supposed to burn. Okay, he's not in Jerusalem. This is why. 
he's supposed to take it into the city, wherever it is that he is. I don't remember. I know he's, I think he's in Babylon at this point. He is. And he's supposed to take it into the middle of the city and burn that hair when the siege is finished. And so this is early enough that he's, I don't know if he's bald, like through the whole siege or if he is, or if this is close to the end of the siege or what, because um, when we first started reading Ezekiel, this was, this was really close in, in the beginning of people being carried out off. So, but yeah, when it, when it's done, he's supposed to burn a third of it. <laughs> he's supposed to take a third of it and I guess lay down on the ground and just, and hit it with a sword, which had to have looked bonkers. Hilarious. <laughs> um, like, all right, you know, I'm so mad at my, you know, <laughs> that's what it would have looked like to me. Some guy out in the middle of the street swinging a sword at his, at his, at his hair laying on the ground. So, you know, nowadays we would see something like that and we would be like, okay, somebody call the police. You know, you're not supposed to be high in public. But I think <laughs> then, I think then it would have been, first of all, he's known, right? He's already yeah. had to make the clay works with the, and use the iron pan and like act out the little siege against Jerusalem and lay on his side and mm -hmm. in public and, you know, like eat this much food and drink this much. Like he's already done all of these things that are symbolic. So at this point, if he's seen out in public doing something, people aren't going to be like, oh, now meth, meth is a horrible, horrible drug. People mm -hmm. that know, that are Judeans are going to look at him and be like, okay, what's Ezekiel doing now? Right? Because they know he's a prophet and they're going to know there's a message. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So either, either they're saying like, oh, the crazy guy's doing something crazy again, or, <laughs> or they know that this guy's a prophet that, you know, at this point, maybe the people that are with him are listening to him because later it sounds like he's with some prominent people in, in, yeah. in yeah. his house. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking maybe he is a little more respected than some of like we've listened, read with uh, Jeremiah and um, gosh, some of the others. I mean, even Isaiah, I think people didn't quite listen to him either, but, but they uh, knew who they were. So even Jeremiah who like the leaders really, really, really did not want to listen to him. Even they recognized who he was. And if they chose yeah. not to listen to him, like they were doing it intentionally because they knew they weren't going to like it. But right. like, um, yeah, this, this whole thing, it, it says at some point in here, where was that? Where it makes a, makes a reference to him sitting in his house with the leaders of Judah in front mm -hmm. of him. Chapter mm -hmm. I think it was in. Um, I can't remember if it was in this week's reading because it's all. I think it was. I think it was. Um, so I mean, so even yeah. though they're in captivity, oh yeah, it's in. It's chapter eight. Yeah. In the sixth year, in the sixth month of the fifth day, while I was sitting in my house, and the elders of Judah were sitting before me, the hand of the sovereign Lord came to me. So like he's definitely like people know who he is. Yeah. Yeah. So. So, yeah, so you see this fairly prominent guy doing these weird things. And if he's somebody that people are actually listening to, because I haven't gotten an indication yet where people aren't listening to him the way they weren't listening when they were in Jerusalem. So maybe being carried away from Jerusalem has opened people up to actually listening to the prophet now. And since there's no Internet, they're eager for a word from the prophet to find out what's going on back home. Yeah. And they're in a bad way. They yeah. tend to listen more oh, yeah. when they're in a bad way. Yeah. Yeah. And so then that last third of that hair, you're supposed to just scatter to the wind. And so oh, this is wait, also... Some, tuck some in your clothes, too. Don't scatter all of it. Well, yeah, that part I didn't quite... I didn't understand that part as well. Wouldn't but... it have been easier if he just kept it on his head? <laughs> <laughs> easier, 
<laughs> easier to carry would have been a little sunscreen yeah <laughs> oh dear <laughs> but this someday, is all guys someday i want to go to the heavenly blockbuster and i want to check out the video series that explains the weird imagery of ezekiel <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> well this one actually sort of does make sense because it says that this is all supposed to represent jerusalem so with you know having a third of it burned in the middle of the city or you know, a third of it burned i think that represents the burning of jerusalem you know, they burned it, pretty much everything down. Uh, a third of it is gets struck with the sword. And so that's the people who stuck around and didn't go away that died in the city, um, you know, from from battle. And then uh, the third scattered to the wind. You know, they get carried off. And, you know, I know, you know, they get taken to Babylon. But you got You know, you got to figure that anytime you have a mass movement of, of a whole society like this, people are probably going to wander you know so i wonder okay so in chapter six it talks about there's three different outcomes for these people okay so like what mm -hmm. if there's a connection between the three things done to the hair and the three different outcomes for the people so if i go to chapter six and then i start in 12 and it says one who is far away will die of the plague one who is near will fall by the sword and anyone who survives and is spared will die of famine. See, so there's three basic outcomes and there's three sections of hair being demonstrated. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that this is something that God's been saying for a while is basically there's going to be there's going to be, you know, several outcomes and only one of them is going to end up possibly good. And that's if you listen and, and go along with what I'm with what I've got planned. But. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Verse five in five, though, did say, let me see here, did say that this is Jerusalem. You know, this is after all the all the hair stuff. Either way, I mean, nothing there sounds like a good thing to happen. You know, whether we're talking city, whether we're talking individuals later, none of, none of it sounds awesome. But uh, all, all of this is because of that rebellion where, uh, let's see, in verse seven, it says that they've multiplied their disobedience or NIV put it they're They're more unruly. And we're to the point where they says they you haven't even kept the standards of the nations around you. So while they were supposed to be at an elevated level, they didn't even they didn't even follow the norms of what was happening around them with these others. They just did everything. It's like they just did whatever they wanted to do. Just like had no moral compass at all, it seems. And to the point where then God is telling him, I'm going to do something I've never done before and I'll never do it again. I think the last time we heard something like that was the flood. Yeah, yeah, followed by the rainbow, which was the promise never to do it again. Yeah, and then you, um, says you defiled my sanctuary, which we will, once we get into chapter 8, we'll, we can talk some of that stuff. And yeah, and then verse 12, like you were saying, a third will die of pestilence, a third will die by the sword, and a third will be scattered. And that's almost it's, a play out for, for war in general. Yeah, and you know, when we say a third in Bible terms, we don't necessarily mean exactly one third. Usually it just means a large number, a lot, yeah. not necessarily half, but enough to be measured as being quite a bit. So, you know, here in um, in chapter five, also in verse 12, just one chapter sooner, I guess it starts in verse 11. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because you have defiled my sanctuary with all your vile images and detestable practices, I myself will shave you. Right. That's the shaming mm. process. 
Yeah. I myself will shave you. I will not look on you with pity or spare you. A third of your people will die by the plague or perish by famine. A third will fall by the sword outside your walls and a third I will scatter to the winds. So there's the three things. Mm -hmm. And this is all going to be a lesson to the surrounding nations. So not only is this, uh, um, not only is this correction for Israel, for Judah specifically, I guess, but now all these surrounding nations that have been watching Israel and you've got to know that these surrounding nations knew that Israel claimed to be God's chosen people, even if they didn't act like it, but they would have seen it. They would have seen how Israel claimed it. They would have seen how Israel acted. And now when they see Israel taken apart, this will be a lesson for them as well. Mm-hmm. So how, you know, how God deals with the, with the people who claim to follow him and don't and i guess that's maybe a lesson for us as well if we're going to claim to follow god and really don't then uh we're in a bad way yeah or will be in a bad way eventually yeah for sure right Right. so one of the references i thought was interesting was this sort of almost snarky comment that the people of jerusalem were going to be left with nothing but their silver and gold and idols, which mm. could be no good. So all these human contraptions that they had put their faith in, these human systems that they had put their faith in, could not save them when God did not intervene. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, I think that's a pretty sharp lesson for, for people who are looking down the lens of time you know, at some of the chaos that's going on now where it seems like every day you wake up and something's escalating. It's like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? What do I need to do to be safe? And mm-hmm. and honestly, I think that the answer is going to be as much for us as it was for them. You're safe if you're in God's hand. Right. And that doesn't mean be stupid, right? That doesn't mean be stupid. Follow God's instructions as you understand them the best you can mm-hmm. and genuinely, genuinely do that. But but ultimately, your trust is in God. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, we've talked about, you know, not uh, just doing whatever we want because because we have we Jesus can. on our side. You know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you still have to you still have to exhibit some discernment, common sense, uh, you know, taking action that will identify you as a child of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And then, and then, and then the other, you know, the nice thing on on a more practical level, you know, God doesn't leave you without guidance. It's, you know, it says he doesn't do anything without first telling his servants, the prophets. So, you know, have you read your Bible? You know what prophecy says? Are you as, are you as ready as you can be? Because we're told in advance, not only for our peace of mind, but so that we can be as ready as possible. That's pretty, pretty practical. Yeah, we... Well, you know, we've said here before, too, where we're we are in a position where I think no other aspect of humanity has ever been in where we have God's word available to us in more ways. It's more convenient for us to get to it. We can literally carry it in our back pocket on our phones now. It doesn't cost us a dime other than, you know, your 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 cell phone bill, which everybody has anyway. But, you know, we have 
we have scripture at our fingertips anytime we want it. And so we really don't have excuses for not taking some time to study, to find out how God has worked in the past, to get some idea of how he's going to work in the future, understanding that he doesn't really change, even though he doesn't always do everything the same way. His principles never change. And so mm-hmm. it gives us it gives us guidance for our lives. And, you know, when we read these stories and we see all these uh, how, how Israel and Judah fell for because of their idolatry and because of the way they treated other people, uh, it should be a warning to us that especially us, we who claim to be God's people, when you don't act according to the way God wants you to act, yet you claim to be his people. To me, that's that's the biggest part of that commandment about using God's name in vain. Don't say that you're one of God's people and then act completely differently. It's embarrassing. Yeah. It, yeah. Sometimes literally we get we get stuck into a place of embarrassment because, you know, we're, you know, you see sometimes, you know, you. We're, you, when you're when you're when you're telling somebody you ought to be doing a thing and then you're not doing the thing uh, and you get called out for it. I didn't mean embarrassing to us. I meant embarrassing to God. Well, like, yeah. If yeah. we're if we're the ones standing up and saying that's my title, I walk under that banner and then mm-hmm. we're over here in the shrubbery doing stupid stuff like, come on. Yeah. Well, and besides the fact that when people see us doing stupid stuff and they know that we claim to be Christian and then and they look at us and they see the hypocritical attitudes or they think that that's the way we're so that that christians are supposed to be and then they reject god because of it it's true yeah. faulty, faulty witness mm-hmm. you know i mean some people look at the way that christians view and treat other people in the world in our society and and they just they see christians as terrible horrible people and i gotta admit when i when i look at it through their lens i have to agree a lot of times that that sometimes christians quote unquote christians right. uh can be pretty awful yeah. um, mahatma gandhi was uh famous for saying i like your christ mm-hmm. i do not like your christians mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's a stark reminder stark reminder of this yeah so all this is a lesson to all the people that are around and they're seeing and you know the, the surrounding nations were we're kind of getting taken down by Babylon as well. So, you know, when they see, when they see Jerusalem taken down, just like everybody else, they can see where it's all gone. They can but see but where... I think that defends God's honor. And if, you know, and if Israel and Judah weren't going to do that, then, then God steps in and does it. So mm-hmm. if, if, if Israel, all, all of it, Israel and Judah is supposed to be the city on a hill, right? The shining light that the, that shows the, the masses in the world huddled in fallen darkness, what God's kingdom is supposed to be about, right? That's what it's supposed to be. And instead, they use their elevated position and their protection and the fact that God gives them all these, you know, brings them out of slavery and hauls their cookies across the desert and gives them a nation and helps them with their victories and gets them established in the new land that he picked out for them and promised to them hundreds of years before. And he does all of this stuff. And their response is utterly ungrateful. Mm-hmm. And it's just the crappiest mishmash of 
Ooh, this looks fun. I'm going to do this and I'm going to call it worship. Oh, that looks fun. Let's do that too. And we'll call that worship as well. And then we'll do this and we'll call this worship. You know, it's just, and it just goes on and on and on. And there's clearly no reason. And they are no longer set apart. Their behavior, their actions, that city on a hill, they are no longer set apart. They are as, as, as bad or worse than any of the surrounding nations. So to me, God defends his own honor when he intervenes and takes them down a peg because on a worldwide global scale, it shows the people watching that his honor is not to be trampled on and that his protection is not a free gift just because you're so-and-so. Right. Yeah. Don't, don't say that you're children of Abraham because don't you know that God can raise children of Abraham from these rocks? Right. (laughs) Yes. Like that. You know, Jesus says that down, uh, down in one of the gospels and, you know, don't think you're all that because um, <laughs> being born into a family does not make you doesn't make you great. It's it's how you act and what you do. Well, once we get into chapter six, then God is talking about how he is taking charge here. And like we said before, is he is he actively doing this or is he removing is he removing uh, uh, pr- protection against or protection for Jerusalem? But he says, uh, I'm gonna, going to destroy your high places. These are the all those other places for worshiping other gods. That never got completely removed. Yeah. You know, if you go back and you recap all the kings that we looked at, that was usually how the ones that followed God started out, is trying to destroy those, but they never were able to get rid of them all. And it right. seems like it just kind of reared its ugly head and, and kind of progressed to the point, point where they're at right now. Mm-hmm. Because yep. they couldn't fully break away. Yeah, yeah. One king would come in and tear some down, and then the next king would come in and build them right back up. And yeah, so those are going to get taken down finally and completely. Uh, altars will be desolate. Incense altars, incense altars will be broken. Uh, slain men will be cast down before their idols. And verse seven in chapter six says, you shall know that I am the Lord. So, so yeah, like you were saying, Karen, this is God stepping in and defending his own honor, I guess, you know, making it very clear who's in charge here, who is God. You know, when people look at quote unquote, Old Testament God, and they see they only see judgment. One, I think they're cherry pip- picking, but I suppose this is the kind of thing that they that they cherry pick out, right? And, you know, and they see God, they see when God finally does smite or allows a smiting to happen. And, oh, look at that! Now, see, see, God is just judgmental, and he's mean, and he's he's callous. Um, if he was a God of love, he wouldn't allow his children to be hurt. Right, right. Uh, but when we when we look at it into the context of how long this has been going on, how much God has pro- tried to protect them over the years, how ungrateful they've been, how they continue to spiral down and away from him. And with the understanding that you have to have God in order to even exist. I don't know how you see this as just an angry God. Is he angry here? I guess we could classify him that way, but is he just being arbitrary? Is he just being, um, 
I would say jealous, but I guess in some ways he is showing jealousy, at least as we we talk about it. In fact, there's um, mention of an idol that that sparks jealousy here a little bit. But when you when you when you look at it in in these contexts of if you understand that God exists, if you understand that God is the one who keeps us alive, that our existence depends on. And when he does step in and allow these things to happen and it is for our own good, it's hard for me to see God as just being angry, judgmental and smiting. It's more of the action of a loving parent who does step in, does have the corrective action, whether it's grounding or spanking or taking away a toy or, you know, whatever. It's a different perspective that you get of God. It's a different uh, viewpoint that you end up having when you can, when you look at it that way in understanding that these are corrective actions. They're not just lashing out in anger, but it is very definitely, you will know, you will know that I am the Lord. You will know that I am in charge. Uh, but he turns right around then and says, yet I will leave a remnant. Those who escape will remember me and they will remember that I have not said in vain that I would bring this calamity on them. So the people who escape will see that they're, they will be able to see that God is in charge and that there was a reason for it all. Now, chapter seven, we see, uh, let me see in verse three, it sounds like how did this put this? Because my in my notes, I wrote God's anger equals judgment or repayment for abominations. Uh, what did that say? Now the end has come upon you and I will send my anger against you. I will judge you according to your ways and I will repay you for all your abominations. Now on the surface, again, that just sounds like retribution. Right. But we have to, you know, dig underneath that a little bit and understand that this is uh, this is a corrective punishment that. Uh, because you because of this, this is why this is happening. There's words of disaster and doom. Now upon you, I will soon pour out my fury. You know, and if you look at four, but I will repay your ways. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost like you get to that line in the sand and God's just had enough. I'm done. I need yeah. to, I need to bring the balance back into correction. Mm-hmm. And I need to bring correction back into balance. And I'm going to do this and then we can move forward again. Mm-hmm. I can empty out. I can empty out the, the cup of of wrath and then we're good again. Mm-hmm. After 70 years, I'll restore you. You'll be my people. We'll start again. We'll see what you learned and we'll let the cup slowly fill up again. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I'm remembering as we read through this, I'm remembering his rather God's rather graphic um, sort of explanations of how he views our human infidelity like from the time you were a tiny child and i found you lying in the ditch with no one to take care of you i have raised you and then when you and i cared for you and made sure you had everything you needed and then when you became old enough i was ready to make you my bride and i gave you all these things and i gave you clothes and i gave you riches and i gave you all of these things and you were like oh hey Look, I have cool things. And you turned around and you gave them to other nations and other men as if they were yours to give away instead of being grateful to me. Like it's this whole like it's this big picture wooing that's going on and he just can't get his people to stay true. Wasn't that like almost like a direct representation of wasn't it? Correct me if I'm wrong. Was it King Hezekiah that 
given 15 more years to live and then um, didn't didn't Babylon come to his doors and instead of spreading, you know, God's love and, you know, what God has done for them, he showed him all the riches that he had. <laughs> I think that was Hezekiah. Oh, I'd forgotten know, about that. Yeah, it, that was like a perfect play out. That's that's what I have written here. It's like, you know, you had you had the the chance to to spread my gospel, to look tell, what God has done for me. Look, yes, and instead you showed your riches. Look what I got. Somebody else to come and take. Uh, yeah, and Hezekiah was one of the ones who was considered good, right? And he, and even he turned and said, you know, look how awesome we are, instead of look at how awesome my God is. Look how awesome, you know. I mean, if he could have shown that maybe in a context of look what God has provided. Uh, but that's not the indication you get when you're reading it. It's more like, just look how awesome we are. Look how. Look, look what we have. What mm-hmm. a relief that humans have outgrown all that and we're such better people now. Whew. Oh, yes. We're, we're, we're the just. The cup is slowly filling. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's filling slowly anymore there. That's but... true. It's the <laughs> stream at this point. Sometimes we'll I get up and I look around at the things that are going on in the world and I'm like, oh. Yikes. <laughs> Smite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. And, you know, like you were saying, Tracy, where God is like, I'm done. But I think it's it's more along the lines of I have to be done before you're done. Because if God had just let them keep going, they would have looked exactly like everybody else. They would have been completely lost. They would have just been relying on their own stuff to to carry them through and there would have been no there would no there would be no remnant anymore you know there would be no people of god there would be no nobody who was following that line that god has has provided for survival and has provided for existence and they would have just taken on all of the trappings of everybody around them because we know that they were doing stuff like sacrificing children and prostitution in in the temple and but looking back at it god always had that provision set because while the prophets would think hey i am the only one that hasn't bowed a knee oh no 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 no, you're not i have five thousand others that are out there too Mm -hmm. i think the lord always provides that provision to say you know what I know it's going bad, and I know that things look grim, but there are others out there. Yeah. You know, there is always that remnant to, to continue on the, I guess, the the ideal plan of what I had in mind and a way to a basically a start over kit. Mm-hmm. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? To say that, okay, so I got these people, I, I'll start over. Yeah, and when you understand God as a loving God and not as a smiting God, you see that starting over as a graceful action. Right. Yes, we're going going to have a corrective action. Call it punishment if you like. You know, I'm going to have to put you over my knee and give you a spanking. But later on, I'm going to hug you. I'm going to love you. And we're going to start over. And it is that, you know, he maps it out. He maps it out to say, you know what? The punishment is coming. But know that it's not forever. It's 70 years, go do your time, and then I'll bring you back. Mm-hmm. You know, but he also has to, he has to throw in that contingency that says, listen, do not try to run to Egypt. Yeah. Take your punishment 
and let's be done with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm remembering um, <clears throat> both my kids said things like this to me over the years repeatedly, but my son at one point said, <laughs> we're, we're just eating family dinner. He's a teenager. And he goes, out of the blue, he goes, you know what one of my favorite things about you is? And I was like, oh, dear. Uh, <laughs> no. What is it? And he goes, I like how you talk to us in advance and you say, and keep in mind, they're teenagers, right? They're young adults. You know, mm. and you say, well, I think you should do it this way. And here's why I think that. And I mean, you'll have to figure it out. But here's what I see as like the not so great outcomes of the other things. And then if we mess it up, then you're like, OK, I'm pulling back your rights for a while. And then after a while, you come back and you go, do you want to try again? Here's your rights back. And I was like, yeah, you're in your practice years. You're learning to be an adult, but you still have a safety net. Eventually, you won't have a safety net. You'll just be out there kind of flailing around on your own. But anyway, I was I thought of that a few times. Like, you, you take back our rights, and you say, okay, I'm going to take back your rights. And then in a little while, you come back, and you go, okay, you want to try having your rights back again? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, but I think with that, too, that, that also, you know, when we do that for our kids, you know, we tell them that that's the love I have for you is that I'm gonna map it out for you and then we'll let you do it. You know, and, and whatever the ramifications of what you do, I still love you, yeah. but there have to be consequences. Yeah, so and don't be Consequences, <laughs> learn and move on. You know, I think I, I always think back of, you know, me growing up and I'd get in trouble, you know, just like every other kid would do. And I would, my dad would say, can you please explain to me why you did this? Um, and I'd say, you know what? You got to live and learn. And he would just kind of look at me and he would shake his head. He that's goes, very you know, smart, Alfie. that could be a painful process. Yeah. You know, and it had to make you sit back and go, you know, that is right. It, it can be a painful process. And when you, before you do it, you got to accept those, those, um, the possibility of that happening, the bad outcomes, just like you're saying, Karen, right. so the way it could go bad. Are you willing to accept that? Right, right. So in when I was a teenager, um, in a rare moment of maturity, I, I, I noticed myself. OK, so I went to college a little bit early. I was 17 my first year and I, I noticed myself acting rebelliously against parents who weren't even there. And I thought, well, that's about dumb. And so mm -hmm. I sat down and I had and I and I really just like chewed that through in my mind. And I had a conversation with myself and I said, OK. The gospel itself is based on free will. So with that in mind, Karen self, you have permission to do whatever you want. As long as you understand that there are results. Mm -hmm. So if you decide that the results are okay with you, then you can go ahead and do something. And if the results are not okay with you, then you need to stop and think for a minute. And that was and that was basically the permission I gave myself to start acting independently because I was just I mean, like my parents weren't even there, like they're hundreds of miles away. Right. And I would find myself doing things. To annoy them that they were never going to knew that I did. They were mm -hmm. never going to know that. And I was just like, OK, this is stupid. I have to intervene here. I'm being dumb. 
<laughs> and so that was how I did it. I gave myself conscious permission to make my own choices and do all of the things I wanted to do as long as I was okay with the consequences that could come from that. And I, and then later when I was like 30, I thought, how did I come up with that at 17? Like that's, <laughs> that's weirdly mature. <laughs> you carried yourself in right into it. Oh my goodness. You went there. Why? Why? <laughs> I, I have to. No, don't have to. <laughs> anyway. No, you figured out what Paul said. I think it was Paul. I don't remember where, but he said all things are permissible. Yes. Not all not, things are beneficial. Yes. 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 So, you know, when a lot of people want to, you know, when you get into people talking about God's law being done away with at the cross, and then Paul says that's like, hey, yeah, you can do anything you want to do. Yep. But. But there's going to be consequences. Yep. There's reasons that these things are in place. Can you do it? Sure, you could do it. Doesn't mean it's going to go well for you, but you could do it. Or if that is a good idea. I mean, let's face mm -hmm. it. Some people have done horrible things and gotten away with it for years and died after living a very successful, horrible life yeah. at a ripe old age in their bed. You know, like there's the, the, the world is not filled with karma where... Right. We, you know, we act against God's rules and then like something comes out of the, comes out from behind the next tree and punishes us for doing it. like karma. That's not, that's not real. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and I also, I also look back at, at, you know, a prime example of that is David's life. He, he could, he can understand that, you know what I did wrong and I'm genuinely sorry for it and I'll accept the consequences and i think yeah. that's that's so different than a lot of us today is that you know we want to do whatever we want to do but we're not willing to accept those consequences if things go sideways and it's like i think that's where god's trying to get us to is it's like yeah you do have free will and i do love you but mm -hmm. still your your choices have consequences yeah yeah Mm -hmm. What chapter are we on? I've kind of gotten lost. Can we talk <laughs> about chapter seven, eight? Seven. We're about ready. Yeah, we're, say, we're still on seven. We're getting ready to go into eight. All right. Yeah. yeah eight is eight is where some of this stuff that we're talking about really comes clear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The one thing I we're, we're in the beginning of seven where we're still talking about the disasters and <laughs> it's coming. Yeah. Remember when we didn't know how this episode would go? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> now some of the stuff that i did find before we do jump into eight though um stuff right there at the end where it talks about all their that their stuff is gonna be given to strangers gentiles are gonna possess everything well remember how when they walked in and they took things away from the gentiles all that stuff is gonna it's gonna go back to them now verse 26 though when disaster comes then they will seek a vision from a prophet but the law will perish from the priests and counsel from the elders. So when the disaster comes, that's when they'll finally be trying to find. That's what it's going to take before they finally actually start to try to listen to God and actually look for what God has to say. But now we get into chapter eight. And now we get a little bit of timeline here where this is in. Uh, it sounds like basically it's a year later than the the vision that we saw in chapter one. And we see Ezekiel sitting in his house with some of the elders of Judah. So like we were talking before, he apparently is a prominent member of 
of these these people who have been already taken away. And <laughs> he goes into another vision, another weird kind of strange vision where he says what he calls a likeness, which tells me that he's like, I don't really know what it is I saw. I'm going to try to explain it to you. Uh, and this is the best I can come up with. He says, she's a figure. It's like, he's like fire from the waist down and bright like amber from the waist up. So very, in some ways, I think similar to what he saw before. And this, what do you want to call it? Creature, person, angel, I don't know. Lifts Ezekiel by the lock of his hair. So I'm thinking, ow. Takes him in vision to Jerusalem. To a door of the north gate of the inner court. And I think this is of the inner court of the sanctuary. When you get into the reading, that seems pretty obvious. And and, the New King James said, to the seat of the image of jealousy. And NIV, instead of saying seat, it was uh, the idol. An idol. So in this... By this gate of this inner court, then, of the temple, we have this, have an idol. And notes in one of my Bibles said this was probably an idol to Asherah, which has been, Asherah has been a big one, it seems, in in um, all of this idolatry that they have been taking part in. And then, but there he says, I saw, he says, he sees the glory of the God of Israel there. And he says, like the vision that I saw in the plain. So I think this is that vision of the creature with four heads or four faces and the wings and the, all the, all the, all the strangeness. So, you know, I guess we go back to that vision then. Is that vision supposed to be some sort of depiction of God? And I don't mean in a literal sense, because we know we're supposed to be in the image of God and we do not look like that. But do you, is this a, was that supposed to somehow be a representation of God? Do you think? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. It's almost the way it sounds here. Like that was supposed to somehow represent some aspects of God that I don't know, maybe it just takes deeper study to quite understand what all of the different aspects of it represent. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not going to, I guess I shouldn't try to speculate too much because I just don't know. But it does say here, verse four, he saw the glory of the God of Israel like the vision that I saw in the plain. Yeah. So he's recognizing here somehow that God is representing himself in a way that we're not understanding. And maybe he didn't totally get it because he does always say, this thing was like this thing. This thing was like that thing, but not this thing was that thing. But God takes him to different parts of the temple in chapter eight. And he's having, saying, okay, look at this. Look at this. Do you see this thing? Uh, so it's uh, verse six specifically. Do you see what they're doing? And so he has him look at this idol, probably an, I'm guessing an Asherah pole in, in, in the temple. He tells him to dig into the wall by a door of the court and kind of sounds like making a new wall and being able to look inside the temple then or inside the court and on the walls there's all this depiction of idolatrous symbols as creeping things abominable beasts idols from the house of israel all around on the walls and one of the notes in my old niv said this might have been some egyptian symbolism in there so they're bringing things in from all over the place. 
into into the temple. There's 70 elders in there burning incense. Ugh. Ugh. 70 elders of Israel burning incense. And obviously, I mean, if they were doing this to God, this wouldn't be a problem. Uh, makes me think back to when, well, man, we were just talking about this, not that the, the guys who were building, uh, burning, how did it say, unauthorized fire? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And they got, you know, they got swallowed up by the earth. And here now we've got 70 elders of Israel that, uh, and whether that's intended to be a literal number or if it's just intended to depict that a vast number of the people in charge here, the people in power and with influence are doing these uh, these worship acts to these idols that are in this in this temple. And it says, "Have you seen what they do in the dark?" Well, what do you do in the dark? You're doing things in in secret. So maybe maybe the general population of Jerusalem didn't know that these guys were doing this in there. Oh, that's an interesting way to think about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just I just thought of that just now. But you know, when you're doing things in the dark, you don't necessarily want people to hear or know. So that's a thought. Maybe they were doing these things in secret, and the surrounding people didn't know. But at the same time, there's you know everybody's still being influenced by all this stuff. Uh, and then there were people. There were women at the door of the north gate said weeping for Tammuz, and this is the only time in the Bible that you hear that name. And I don't think we've, yeah, we definitely haven't talked about Tammuz before. And every note that I've seen says this is the only time that Tammuz is mentioned in the Bible. And Tammuz was uh, apparently a Babylonian fertility god. He was like the, uh, sort of, it seems like it was a husband to one other god. And he went into the, some stuff where he went into the nether or afterworld or whatever you want to call it, underworld. And as he dies, it's, it's like, it's like a cyclical thing. And then as he dies, the plants start to wither you know i suppose as fall is setting in and winter sets in and then when he is resurrected then everything comes back to life but these women are at the door of god's temple and they are all worshiping this tammuz and then god says you'll see greater abominations than these i don't think of you know i'm reading that how much worse can you get and then you have in the inner court and in the inner court, if you think about what was happening in the inner court, in the inner court was where all the sacrifices and things happened that we know all these things were supposed to be representative of Jesus's ministry, Jesus's death, sacrifice, all, all those things that were supposed to be happening to point to Jesus. Then these guys have their back to the temple, which I think is interesting. So and, that's where the bronze sea and the and the sac- the altar of sacrifice was, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. It was in the inner court. Is that am I remembering that right? That's the way I remember it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean this is like where all the meat of everything happened, really. You know, you had your you know, had stuff beyond that, but I think this is where the sacrifices happened. This is where the blood would get sprinkled. This is where the yeah, the big sea where they would wash and all these things. All this stuff that's supposed to be very very intricately representing Jesus's ministry in sacrifice, in uh, acting as high priest on our behalf, um, you and know, all the all the intercession he does for us. And yet these guys are, are in there, backs to the temple, facing east and worshiping the sun. That's nice. Why? 
That's mm-hmm. nice. Yeah. <sighs> and that's all you can do is just go, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, we're looking at it from this overhead view and we've been we've been seeing how, you know, things are supposed to go. And, you know, we've been well, I mean, over the course of a couple of years, we've been, you know, studying and following this downfall. But for these people, it's been generations. It's been centuries of this yeah. decline, 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 decline to the point where, as we've read here today and we've read in the past, where even God's temple is being used, it seems like, for, like, practically everything but worshiping God. Yeah, we, worship, we, even even outright worship of other gods, but not the God. Yeah, yeah. So we're seeing it used for worshiping other gods. We've seen it used for ritual prostitution. We've seen it used as a stables. We've seen it used as a storeroom. <laughs> We've Ooh. seen it used, like, for everything but actual worship for God. And so you and you can see here, God says, have you seen this? And then he says, is it trivial? You think right. about, you know, when we think about how do we worship today? What do we do in our places of worship? And not just our places of worship, but just even the way that we, we perceive God, the way we try to interact with God. You know, if we start bringing in influences from the outside, and even, you know, it's a little thing here, a little thing there. It builds up into something great. And so when you ask, is it trivial? Well, you know, this looks this looks like a good idea. Or as I think maybe it was you, Tracy. This looks like fun. Let's add this. This looks good. Let's add that. And to the point where you get where eventually you're not worshiping God at all. Yep. And you probably can't, you know, they probably can't even recognize God's voice anymore at this point. Which is why they wouldn't listen to guys like Isaiah. And, you know, why guys like Ezekiel had to do crazy things like laying on one side for over a year to represent, you know, sieges and <laughs> that stuff, you know, where the, where God has to take these more drastic measures to get their attention. These things are not trivial in the big in the big picture. They all matter. And, and so, that's interesting because there's a, you know, in the modern uh, modern mentality. I saw a cartoon once of a little kid sitting on Santa's lap, and Santa says, "Have you been good?" And the little boy looks up and says, "Good." I was hoping for a little more moral relativity, <laughs> right? And it's like it seems like that's where the entirety of society is. It's like, well, that's not that bad. I mean, I, I wouldn't choose to do it, but it's not that bad. And what you know, we you know, this entire country was founded on. Freedom, freedom of choice, freedom to worship how you want, freedom to live how you want, and then, and then freedom for everybody, for freedom who, for people who don't live here, and freedom to commit outright atrocities, and freedom to, because we're founded on freedom, where do we draw the line, mm-hmm. right? Because if you draw the line, like, have you just rejected the concept of freedom, which is your very foundation, you know, and it, it gets tricky, it gets tricky, because... I don't think there's anybody who can look who looks around at modern society and says, yep, nope, we're definitely doing it right. Yep, this is correct. We should definitely do this. And then we will have heaven on earth. You know, Mm -hmm. like there's some there's some crazy stuff going on. And as as a as a person who genuinely believes in freedom, personal freedom, freedom of choice, freedom of this, freedom of that. It's hard for me to find a pure line for myself and stick to it. 
Yeah, well, because the lines are getting blurred. The people who do think we're headed to heaven on earth are the people who are, they have their backs turned to scripture, for sure, in much the way that these these guys had their backs turned to the temple and were worshiping the sun. People that are, they're, they're, they're turning their back to scripture. They know they are. They proudly proclaim that they are. And that's permissible. God's not here to force anybody. Right. Right. So then, so then, you know, where does, where does society stand? And then, you know, what mm-hmm. things does society try to handle itself versus, you know, letting God handle it? Mm-hmm. And then how shocked are we if God intervenes and says, no, you've diluted too far. You are now lukewarm. You're lukewarm. You don't even know that you don't have character. Like you're just sitting around feeling smug. Look at me. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, no, you don't even know you're poor and blind and naked and wretched. And, you know, no, you don't even know that now you are the world. Yeah, you've become the world. So in acceptance, in acceptance, you've become the world. And so, so I, for myself, like I look at what I look at what Israel or what Judah was going through, and I think to myself, oh my goodness, that's ridiculous. How could they get that? Like that? And then I look around and I'm like, oh yeah, okay, I see. I see how they got like that. And then I think to myself, how do I guard myself? You know, James says, the book of James says, um, you know, pure and undefiled religion is this to help the widows and orphans in their trouble and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. World's going to world. Mm-hmm. Satan's going to Satan. That's that's how it is. God's going to God. So how do I keep myself unspotted from the world? So how do I make sure that I'm one of those like, no, no, you're not alone. There are 7,000 people who have never bent the knee to idols. How do mm-hmm. I make sure that I I retain the remnant attitude in my heart where regardless of what happens around on me around me my love doesn't grow cold you know my heart doesn't grow weak like all of the things don't rub off on me to where i'm like eh, it's probably okay it's not that bad mm-hmm. well i think it's a matter of where is your compass you know are you is your compass leading you to God or to the world, and you have the only way to know is to constantly test it. I suppose you've got to be studying Scripture. You got to be praying. Uh, you got to be practicing. You know the things that that you read. But you know there are the there are the blurry places now where you know we we have large swaths of society that want to live a life counter to Scripture. Yet we're still called by God to love those people, but that doesn't mean that we cow down to their desires. It doesn't mean we say, yeah, what you do is is great. It doesn't mean that we say, yeah, what you're doing is good. To me, the trick is knowing where that blurry line is of loving the sin or ooh, of loving the sinner and hating the sin. Yeah, that gets and that gets difficult, sure. And and I think we all probably have our pet topics too, like the things that are really easy for me to see because in my head they're perfectly clear. This is right, this is wrong. So when I look at someone else, I easily can call out that particular wrong because it's not something I struggle with. Well, what about the ones I do struggle with? Mm-hmm. What about the ones that I'm more likely to accept because I lean that way myself or yeah. whatever? And so I have a peculiar understanding of not only the behavior, but the people who want to do that behavior. 
because in my head, I can justify it if I'm there. It's like, there's, I think there's danger in either way. Like humans are not meant to be God. Like if we sit back in smug black and whiteness and we call out the issues that are very, very clear to us with no empathetic nod that they are not clear to another human being, then we are instantly on a high horse of judgmentalism and we're ignoring the logs in our own eye in order to point out the specks that are in someone else's, right? So so I have to, in order to keep from doing that, I have to take sin as a whole because I am overly judgmental of some sins and I am overly accepting of other sins. And ultimately, other people's sins are not my issue. I have to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. So how do I do this within myself without using other people as my standard? That's where it, that's where I, like, it's so easy for me to look around at the world and go, well, that looks okay when they're doing it. And look, they're still living a good life and they're still basically a good human. And, and so maybe that's okay. And I kind of want to do it anyway. So maybe it's really okay. Yeah. Well, that's where, yeah, but that's where scripture and prayer come in. You know, studying and asking God, because I, I do believe that he will move us in the right direction if we're looking at him in a, in like the opposite way that the world will move us away from him if we're looking at the world. And it probably won't be an overnight change. Occasionally you hear of people who have those overnight changes where it's like every aspect of their life changes and they're they're following God for the rest of their lives. But I think for most of us, it's probably more gradual changes as God pushes us that little bit uh, to where we're uncomfortable towards him until we get used to it. And then he can push us a little more, you know, just like the other way you, you, you get, you get pushed just over a line to where you're uncomfortable and then you accept a thing until you, you know, you re- find out, Hey, I'm the frog that's boiling in the pot now to where, you know, God, I think can do it in the opposite direction he'll move us as we're able closer to him so i it's it's a matter of focus and I, you know i say that because i'm like you karen I, my, my eyes are, are get attracted to all the things of the world and you know, i'm just like any other human being and um so academically i can i can talk about this but focusing on god versus focusing on the world i think makes it easier at least in our hearts of how to accept god's ways even if we haven't quite figured out how to express it yeah yeah but this whole this chapter eight i mean this was really clear imagery to me and it was just like did you know about this Mm -hmm. did you know that this was happening in your very house of worship you think this is bad let me show you something else you think Mm -hmm. this is bad let me show you something else is this trivial it's like, right. Mm, 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 mm. right, right. Which makes me wonder what maybe what the conversation that he'd been having with those elders in his house was, you know, everybody's like, oh, I don't know what happened. What's the big deal? You know, and now God is saying, this is the big deal. Yeah. Look over here. This is happening. Look over here. This is happening. Look over here. This is happening. And maybe the average person on the street didn't really know how much their leaders had been. Okay, so now I really need to laugh. What? I've been in here talking, and I'm like, are they not hearing me? But I was muted. Great. Oh! (laughs) Yeah. 
No. I'm, well, like, I'm like responding to Matt. I'm like, yeah, you know how far they've gone and how far they've been led astray and how they've let the world in. I'm like, wait, they're not responding to me. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Well, I, was, I was trying to cut out the, uh, the grandfather clock chimes. I've uh, worked my way out of the conversation. Wait a minute. Hold That's on. That's funny. <laughs> It's important when you have something to be say that make sure people are listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I mean, in a lot of ways, that's what we're, what we've been seeing into some of these, where these prophets were speaking and people weren't hearing. Yeah, exactly. You know, they had been muted not by themselves, <laughs> but the people had hit the mute button themselves. You know, but I think you're right. I, you know, just like I was trying to say too, and when I muted myself, is that. God was just showing them, this is how far you've, you've gone, how far you've, you know, left my side. This is how you've let the world creep in. Because a lot of times I think too, you just put the blinders on or the changes come so minutely over a long period of time that you're so far away and don't even realize it. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. And so, you know, there is, there is an importance for us to dig our heels in when we see things going in an opposite direction. Again, we're in a position where maybe the people then weren't, like you said, Karen, they didn't have the internet. Whereas, you know, we have instant knowledge of things all the time. Just like with the goofy thing that happened in the Oscars a couple of weeks ago. I don't even have regular TV. Before I went to bed, I knew that Will Smith had smacked Chris Rock, you know? And, and, uh, uh, so, so we see things happening rather quickly, even though I'm sure there are things going on in our government and stuff that we have no idea of probably would be terrified if we did. But when we see certain things, when we see things that are going against God and we know they're going against God, we got to dig in our heels at least for ourselves and then try to be a mouth of reason and hope that somebody will hear. And then, of course, you'll you'll find the people who who are like minded and that will make you stronger together and do the very best we can to follow God, to actually follow God. Otherwise, we just keep getting dragged away, dragged away slowly and slowly until something has to happen. All righty. Well, anything else? No, we were worried we wouldn't be able to get to an hour and. <laughs> Here we are at uh, over an hour and 15. Yep. <laughs> yep. Well, God's word is the, the Bible is just it's interesting that way. There's so much so many little details to pull out all the time and things to look at. And even the, even though I mean, really, I mean, we haven't learned anything necessarily new by reading Ezekiel that we haven't learned before. Yeah, no. It's just from a different perspective now, because now Ezekiel isn't even in Jerusalem, but he's seeing what's happening in Jerusalem. But. So it's uh, it is interesting. It's kind of a fascinating thing. Alrighty. Well, next week we will be reading Ezekiel chapters nine through twelve, and we'll see what happens there. See what what new perspectives we get. I'm guessing it'll be more grim war stuff. <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably. That's my summary. <laughs> Which is, you know, it's funny because we've all read this stuff before, and I think some of us have read it many times, or we've been through it many times in different ways. You know, I've listened to the Bible through several years in a row, and we've we all studied it together before. But I always come at it, and I go, I don't remember reading this before, and I know I have, and so I, I, I'm sure that there will be 
aspects of this that will come as a bit of a shock and surprise. Maybe not shock and surprise, but it'll be like, oh, yeah, I don't remember that. So, so good stuff, though. All righty. Well, Ezekiel chapter 9 through 12 next week. While you're reading that, waiting for us, remember you can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Look for us on Facebook. Make sure you share the podcast with your friends so that they can hopefully uh, learn a little bit more about God and hope closer to him too. And we will talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening.